Section 9 of Stories of the First American Animals. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Brian Dirks. Stories of the First American Animals by George Langford. Section 9. A feeling of tenseness was in the air. The assembled animals gazed solemnly at each other as though anticipating trouble of some sort. They knew not what. Oxenna's eyes turned from time to time toward the distant woods. Suddenly his face brightened. His tail began to squirm. I looked to the woods and saw a group of animals coming toward us. Those on the outskirts of the throng were the first to espy the newcomers. It was but a small compact group approaching but the grass-eaters gave way before them, rolling back and aside in two great waves. They feared the bear-cats, few as the latter were, and meant to give them plenty of room. This commotion communicated itself rapidly to the central mass until it threatened to assume the proportions of a rout. At this juncture, the knuckle-joint and stumpy-foot animals drew more closely together in two columns, facing each other and leaving a lane between. The newcomers came rapidly down this lane to where Oxena was sitting, awaiting them. And so, these were the bearcats. As they drew nearer, I had a fine opportunity to study each one of them. Their leader was a savage-looking brute, so different from Oxena that I ceased to wonder why the grass-eaters were so afraid of him. He was very cat-like and short-faced, in size and form quite similar to a cougar or rocky mountain lion. Of all that vast assemblage, grass-eaters and bearcats both, none was as large and strong as he. His eyes ran swiftly over the knuckle-joints and stumpy-foot animals as he passed between them. A dozen or more strange-looking and mostly small creatures trailed behind him. All stopped in the central open space and seated themselves behind Oxena. One of them, the bear-dog, rivaled his chief in size but was clumsier, a far less active animal. The grass-eaters had eyes only for these two large brutes, but my interest soon became drawn to their smaller companions. These were a strange lot, each a composite of civet and fox, weasel, or some other flesh-eating type. Several of them were no larger than ferrets, and resembled ferrets somewhat. All of them bore the dread stamp of the true flesh-eater, supple bodies, clawed feet, keen eyes, and sharp-edged teeth. These small creatures were those whom Yohippus had termed the killers. They sat waiting, watching the knuckle-joints and stumpy-foot animals from the corners of their eyes. I was close by and ready, fully determined to protect the dawn-horse if necessary. "'It is claimed that Oxena killed one of my people,' said the latter, addressing the crowd of grass-eaters. "'Who can prove it?' "'I!' A small rope-tailed creature emerged from the throng and sprang upon the arched back of one of the knuckle-joints so as to be better seen and heard. The killers scowled at such temerity, but the newcomer paid no attention to them. He was the chip-monkey. A good witness, I thought, for he looked like a tree-animal with keen wits and eyes. His first words showed that I had made a very good guess. "'I live in the forest,' he chattered boldly, 
I was sitting in a tree last night and saw him, indicating Oxena, devouring an animal, one of the dawn colts who lay dead upon the ground. Everybody gasped and stared at the culprit. The killers growled angrily and bit their lips. How could you see at night, snarled their fierce leader. I can see in the dark as well as you, the midget retorted. How about the night before when you were sneaking up to... I object, roared the big killer leader, but nobody heard because of the squeaks, snorts, and other noises which now filled the air. I saw Oxena too, piped a shrill voice, and the chuck squirrel hopped out into the open. He too was a tree climber. He, like the first tail bearer, was given to night roving habits. For these reasons alone, he appeared well qualified as a second excellent witness. The chip monkey speaks the truth, he said. I saw it myself, and something else too. Oxena not only ate the dawn colt, he killed him. Who would believe a chuck squirrel? screeched the puss weasel, fiercest of the small killers. He is a thief who is forever stealing the bird's eggs. But who leaves the young birds for you to eat, was the prompt retort. Good for you, I chuckled. Spunk? The squirrel and the chipmunky both had more than their little bodies would hold. The puss weasel was fairly swept off his feet. Ugh! He glared at his accuser fiercely. He could say no more. He was so enraged. You have heard our two witnesses, the dawn horse now said to the prisoner. What have you to offer in your own behalf? I did come upon the body, Oxen admitted, but I was not devouring it. Never was I more surprised than when I saw it lying there. But you chewed and slobbered, the chuck squirrel remonstrated. I did but grieve, replied the culprit, rolling his eyes skyward. He appeared so innocent that the killers smirked at each other as though it were an excellent joke. What these two little rascals say is all lies, Oxena said after a moment's pause. How can it be true when grass, not flesh, is my food? He leered at those about him, evidently thinking that his statement was conclusive and that soon he would go scot-free. The voice of the dawn horse brought him to his senses. Grass, your food? We will soon see about that. Bring grass, he shouted. The accused is about to show us that he has not yet learned how to eat flesh. The dawn horse's commands were instantly obeyed. Grass was brought and piled before the prisoner, who grew more and more crestfallen as the arrangements progressed. He looked at the green fodder with a wry face, then glanced appealingly at his friends, the killers. The latter held their peace, taking cruel satisfaction in his confusion and curious to see what he would do next. The grass-eaters crowded closer around him, eager for him to begin. "'Make haste,' bellowed the leader of the stumpy-foot animals. "'We cannot wait on you forever.' Oxena's teeth gleamed. In his desperation, he became almost ferocious. His friends edged closer to him. The knuckle-joints, in their turn, began to crowd forward. The stumpy-foot animals rattled their tusks. For an instant, a clash appeared unavoidable, but the killers saw that they were vastly outnumbered. They abandoned their threatening attitude. There was no help for Oxena now. The law must take its course. He put on a bold front, bent over the heap of grass, and seized a mouthful. That was as far as he got for the moment. I could not help smiling. It was all so ridiculous. 
It was as though he had made up his mind to take his dose of bad medicine and had lost heart at the last moment. Again, the stumpy-foot animals snapped their jaws together. Oksana made a horrible face, chewed the grass in his mouth, and tried to swallow it. The task was beyond his powers. He gasped, choked, spat out the half-chewed morsel, and sat with bowed head, a picture of hopeless confusion. The crowd began to murmur. The bearcat had proven himself guilty by his own evidence. Surely he could not be permitted to go unpunished. All eyes were turned to Eohippus. He hesitated. The killers were crouching low, as though making ready to spring upon the knuckle joint and stumpfoot animals, who in their turn were set and waiting to charge. It was a critical moment. Anything might have precipitated bloody civil war. It was high time for me to take a hand. Oxena is a flesh-eater, I whispered to the dawn horse. Waste no more time proving that. Danger threatens. The Paracats and the Killers have joined forces against you and yours. Rid yourself of Oxena and his friends. Act quickly before it is too late. I did not add that I could then see numerous figures emerging one by one from the distant woods. If the grass-eaters did not bestir themselves, they would soon be overwhelmed by their fierce enemies. But the sharp-eyed killer leader had also caught sight of the distant figures. He sprang to his feet and bared his teeth at the crowd. Oxena is innocent, he snarled. Come, let us go. Good. Tell your friends not to interfere with them, I said to the dawn horse. The quicker they go, the better. Their friends are swarming to their aid. The dawn horse trembled. He began to realize his danger. Let them pass, he called to the stumpy-foot animals. The latter snorted and stamped their feet angrily, but fell back obediently nevertheless. The killers with Oxena in their midst passed through. And now tell your people to fly and save themselves, I directed. Quick, the killers are coming. They cannot catch you if you will only run. But there was no need for this latter warning. Others had already detected the approaching figures and given the alarm. The vast herd of grass-eaters wavered, then burst into panic-stricken flight across the lowlands like leaves blown by the driving wind. The spell was broken. Killers and bearcats both arose from their crawling positions and hurried after, barking and howling at the top of their lungs. The next moment I found myself in the midst of a sea of swirling animals which bore me along like a chip upon the ocean tide. The dawn horse was whisked away from me, and although I hurried after him as fast as I could, the distance between us rapidly widened. My breath came in gasps. My speed slackened with exhaustion because of the swiftness of the pace. The last of the grass-eaters sped past me, and I stood alone. I looked behind me. Killers and bearcats both had abandoned the chase and were trooping back to the woods. The killers were not persistent runners and detested a long, stern chase. The grass-eaters would return sooner or later and could be dealt with one at a time. As for the bearcats, now that they had shown their true colors, they too must learn to crawl and spring upon their prey. I looked before me. The distant horizon had risen and become a line of hills whose crest stood a little creature with head turned as though looking for something or somebody behind him. He was far away. Wait, wait, little horse, I cried. 
but he was too distant to hear me. The figure resumed its way and disappeared over the hills. I endeavored to follow, but the ground before me, which was continually rising, suddenly shot up to a great height and barred my further advance. Lost, I groaned. My little horse has left me, and I will see him no more. Then came a sudden change. It was as though I had been whisked away into another world. A flood of fire burst through the sky overhead and almost blinded me with its dazzling light. The glare and heat made my temples throb. A gigantic head suddenly thrust itself between me and the sun. I opened my eyes wide and stared about me in bewilderment. The marshy lowlands had disappeared. The rugged hills and gullies of the badlands surrounded me on every side. The Grey Bull River flowed at my feet. All had changed. The passing moments yawned infinite time. I was half sitting with my back to the rock, which protected me from the direct rays of the scorching noonday sun. My pony's soft muzzle was sniffing that which I held within my hand, a little stone skull, the skull of Yohippus. End of section 9